Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Service of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this, what is legalism? Wow, this is an important question. If you wanted to mean somebody in the church, all you have to do is call them a legalist when speaking to that person. The number of times uh, one believer has called another believer a legalist is inestimable. Name-calling often uh, starts when somebody in the church believes that another has done something that cuts under uh, cut, undercuts their Christian liberty. And like its sister term, funny, the label legalist has become something of a conventional religious slur in a grace-oriented and gospel-centered churches. We must be extremely, though, slow to use this word when speaking about others in our local churches. It may be that one believer has a weaker or even a softer conscience than another, as Romans 14 through 15 tells us. And additionally, those who love God's law and seek to walk in it uh, and carefully in accord with it will always be susceptible to being called legalists. And so we must guard against carelessly tossing around the charge of legalism. However, we must also recognize that legalism in its various forms and shapes is alive and well in our evangelical and reformed churches. And this too must be guarded against with utmost determination. And in order to avoid a false charge against a believer, in order to avoid personally embracing legalism, and in order to restore a believer who has fallen into legalism, we must know how to identify this evil both in its doctrinal and in its practical form. So first, doctrinal legalism. Legalism is by definition an attempt to add anything to the finished work of Christ. It is to trust in anything other than Christ and its finished work for one standing before God. The New Testament refutation of legalism is primarily a response to perversions of the doctrine of justification by faith alone and Christ alone. The majority of our Savior's opponents were those who believed that they were righteous in and of themselves based on their zeal for and commitment to the law of God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes exemplified by their words and by their deeds, doctrinal legalism in the days of Christ and the apostles. While they made occasional appeals to grace, they self-righteously truncated and twisted scripture, the scriptural meaning of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul summed up the nature of Jewish legalism when he wrote in Romans 10, 3-4. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for forgiveness to everyone who believes. And so understanding the relationship between the law and the gospel for our justification is paramount to learning uh, to how to avoid doctrinal legalism. The scriptures teach that we are justified by the Savior's works and not by our own. The last Adam came to do all that the first Adam failed to do. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, 
Galatians 4, 4 through 5. He came to be the representative in order to fulfill the legal demands of God's covenant, namely to render to God perfect personal and continual obedience on behalf of his people. Jesus merited perfect righteousness for all those whom the Father had given him. We, through faith, union with him, receive a righteous status by virtue of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. In Christ, God provides what he demands. The good works for which God has redeemed believers that we may walk in do not in any way whatsoever play into our justification. They are merely the necessary evidence that God has forgiven us and accepted us in Christ. Doctrinal uh, legalism can also creep into our minds through the back door of sanctification. And the, the Apostle Paul also taught this in Galatians 3, 1-4. through 4. The members of the church in Galatia had allowed themselves to be deceived into believing that their standing before God ultimately depended on what they achieved in the flesh in the continuation of their Christian life. It is possible for us to begin the Christian life by believing in Christ and his saving work alone and then fall into the trap of foolishly imagining that it's entirely us to finish what he has begun. And yet in sanctification, no less than justification, the words of Jesus hold true in John 15 verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Doctrinal legalism and sanctification is sometimes fueled by a passion by passionate preachers who emphasize Jesus teaching about the demands of Christian discipleship while divorcing them from or minimizing the apostolic teaching on the nature of Christ's saving work for sinners. The renowned theologian Gerdas Voss explained the nature of this subtle form of legalism when he said this, there prevails still a subtle form of legalism which would rob the believers uh, rob the savior i should say of his crown of glory earned by the cross and would make of him a second moses offering us the stones of the law instead of the life bread of the gospel legalism is powerless to save he says in Colossians 2:20 through 23, the apostle Paul touches on yet another form of doctrinal legalism that sneaks in through the back door of sanctification. When he writes, "If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you are still alive in the world do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not uh, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they were used, according to human precepts and teachings." These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so those who have embraced this form of doctrinal legalism, they forbid what God has not uh, forbidden, and they command what he has not commanded. They bind themselves and others to a standard of external holiness to which God has not bound us to in his word. This is one of the most prevalent and uh, forms of legalism in the church today, and it is dangerous. It often comes in the form of prohibitions against eating certain forms of food and drinking alcohol. It even creeps in through personal convictions about parenting and education. So let's also talk about practical legalism. And this is a very uh, important aspect of legalism that we need to be on guard because it can take control of our hearts. 
By nature, our consciences are hardwired to the covenant of works. While believers have become new creations in Christ, they still carry around with them an old man in old Adamic sin nature. And so the default mode of the old nature is mentally to slide back into the covenant of works. We are ever in danger of becoming practical legalists by nurturing or even overlooking a legalistic spirit. And it's altogether possible for a man or a woman to have a head full of orthodox biblical doctrine to know the Bible even thoroughly and completely while having a heart full of self-righteousness and pride. We can be intellectually committed to the doctrines of grace and we can give lip service to the liberty that Christ has purchased for believers while at the same time denying these words by our words and our actions. And a legalistic spirit is fostered by pride. When a believer experiences growth in spiritual knowledge or power, they are in danger of beginning to trust in spiritual attainments. And when this happens, practical legalists begin to look down their nose and sinfully judge those who have not experienced what they have experienced. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Bringing the Ark to Zion a second time, he explained that he observed the reality of spiritual pride and practical legalism among those who experienced revival during the Great Awakening when he said, There is an exceeding disposition in men as long as they live to make a righteousness of what is in themselves and an exceeding disposition in men to make a righteousness of spiritual experiences. As well as other things, a convert is apt to be exalted with high thoughts of his own eminency and grace, Edwards says. And so perhaps the most damaging of all is the way in which a legalistic spirit can manifest itself in the pulpit. A minister can preach the grace of God in the gospel without experiencing that grace in his own life. And this in turn can feel a legalistic spirit among members of that church. So we might wonder now, what is the cure for legalism? The grace of God in the gospel is the only cure for doctrinal and practical legalism. When we recognize doctrinal or practical legalism in our lives, we must flee to Christ crucified. And as we do, we will again begin to grow in our love for the one who died to heal us of our propensity to trust in our own works or in our own achievements. On a daily basis, we need to be reminded of the grace that has covered all of our sins, provided us with the righteousness from outside of ourselves, and freed us from the power of sin. Only then will we joyfully pursue holiness. Only then will we love God's law without attempting to keep it for our justification before him. The heart of a the cry of a heart set free from legalism is this in Galatians 2:20 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Have you, as a Christian, ever been accused of legalism? The word is often bandied about uh, in the Christian subculture incorrectly. Some might, some people might call John a legalist because they view him as narrow-minded, but the term legalism does not refer to narrow-mindedness. In reality, legalism, as we're talking about it, it manifests itself in subtle ways. 
Legalism involves abstracting the law of God from its original context. Some people seem to be preoccupied in the Christian life with obeying rules and regulations, and they conceive of being of Christianity being a list of rules of do's and don'ts, cold and deadly set of, of moral principles. Now that's one form of legalism where one is concerned merely with the keeping of God's law as an end in and of itself. And God does uh, care about our obeying of his commandments. After all, John fourteen fifteen says in Jesus' words that if you love me, keep my commandments. And yet there's more to the story that we need to not forget. God gave laws such as the Ten Commandments in the context of a covenant. God is gracious. He redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt and entered into a loving filial relationship with Israel. Only that after that grace-based relationship was established did God specifically begin to define laws that please him. And so to understand the second kind of legalism, we need to remember that the new covenant distinguishes between the letter of the law, its outward form, and the spirit of the law. And the second form of legalism divorces the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. It obeys the letter, but it violates the spirit. There's a subtle distinction between this form of legalism. You see, the, the legalist isolates the law from God who gave the law. So suppose a man likes to drive their car at the minimum speed required, irrespective of the conditions that they're driving. If they're on an interstate and the minimum posted speed is 40 miles per hour, he's going to drive 40 miles per hour and no less. He does this even in the midst of torrential downpours when driving at this required speed actually puts other people in danger because they have the good sense to slow down and drive 20 miles an hour so as not to hide your plane or skid off the road. Now, the man who insists on a speed of 40 miles per hour, even under these conditions, is driving his car to please himself alone. And although he appears to the external observer as one who is scrupulous in his civic obedience, his obedience is only external, and he doesn't care at all about what the law is actually about. The second kind of legalism uh, obeys the externals while the heart is far removed from any desire to obey God, the intent of his law, or of Christ. And so the second type of legalism, we can say, is illustrated by the Pharisees who confronted Jesus over healing on the Sabbath in, Mark, in Matthew 12, 9-14. And there they were concerned only with the letter of the law, but avoiding anything that might look like work to them. These teachers missed the spirit of the law, which was directed against ordinary labor that's not required to maintain life and not against uh, efforts to heal the sick. And the third kind of legalism, it adds our own rules to God's law and treats them as divine. It is the most common and most deadly form of legalism. And yet Jesus rebuked the Pharisees at this very point, saying, You teach human traditions as if they were the word of God. We have no right to keep uh, restrictions on people where there is no stated restriction given by God. Now, every church has a, has a right to its own policies in certain areas. Uh, the Bible says nothing about soft drinks in the church's fellowship or coffee, but, it, but a church has every right to regulate such things. But when we use these human policies to bind the conscience of people in an ultimate way, as in a matter of worship, and make policies determinative of one's salvation, we venture dangerously into the territory that is God's alone. 
And now many people think that the essence of Christianity is following the right rules, even rules that are extra biblical. The Bible doesn't say that we can't play cards or have a glass of wine with dinner. We can't make these matters the external test of authentic Christianity. That would be a deadly violation of the gospel because it would substitute human tradition for the real fruits of the Spirit. We come perilously close to blasphemy by misrepresenting Christ in this way. Where God has given liberty, we should never enslave people with man-made rules. We must careful, be careful to fight against this kind of legalism. The gospel calls men and women to repentance, to holiness, and to godliness. And because of this, the world finds the gospel offensive. But woe to us if we add unnecessarily to that offense by distorting the true nature of Christianity by combining it with legalism. Because Christianity is concerned with morality, righteousness, and ethics, we can easily make that subtle move from a passionate concern for godly morality into legalism if we're not careful. That's why we must preach the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to ourselves daily and keep short accounts with God. Well, there's a lot more that could be said about this. Uh, We really have only scratched the surface, but this is a really important question. And so thank you for sending it in. And I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. And until next week, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.